Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. I'm your host, Heather McFadden, and this is the place where I'm going to walk alongside you and connect you with people and resources who remind you you don't mom alone. In this episode, number 252, I'm welcoming my friend, Tess Clark. I think just asking Jesus what he's inviting you into right now. I think that um, a long time ago, I felt so overwhelmed, and I still can, and I still do, about everything that was happening in, in the world, and that Jesus just reminded me, like, I'm putting things in front of you that I'm asking you to enter into, that he's invited me to join him in healing a broken world that he's already there. He's already in those broken places. And I think that that was something that God reminds me of even on the trip to Oaxaca, right? And hearing this woman's story when she said that being picked up by the Mexican authorities were God's provision because they were fed and they hadn't eaten in days. Going, man, sometimes I forget because I see how destitute things might look that God is there and God's at work. And there are places and spaces he's invited me to join him in. So for some people, that might look like moving into a place like that. And for other people, it's looking for those broken places in our communities. Um, Something that my kids and I talk a lot about is the line in uh, the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I, we ask Jesus, show us where heaven is not. Show us where heaven is lacking. Lead us there we want to join you in that space and we want to do what we can to bring heaven there. In 2008, Tess and her husband Jason co-founded the non-for-profit organization Seek the Peace, otherwise known as Seek. They're a community of peacemakers and advocates seeking the safety, peace, and flourishing of refugees and immigrants. They've been working alongside refugees in the Middle East, Syria, and Iraq, and even now in Dallas, Texas, Tess has launched Project Shine, where she encourages refugee girls and their identity and their value. She pours into their lives and she's constantly seeking out relationships. In the last few years, their attention has been focused on our southern border. And Tess has been involved as the director of We Welcome Refugees, an organization started by Ann Voskamp. This is how our paths intersect. And you're going to hear more of that story in this episode. But what I loved about the quote you just heard from Tess is that it focuses our hearts as moms of kids, moms of young kids. We often get overwhelmed when we hear about world events. So I've realized my own privilege and not even looking at the news, turning my head away from what's hard to see. Well, (laughs) because of Tess, I can't unsee what I saw in Oaxaca, Mexico. And we're going to share stories from our trip. My goal and Tess's goal is to recognize that God does not need us, but he invites us. And it is our privilege and it's for our flourishing, others flourishing and our kids flourishing when we seek him to know what he's asking us to do. Tess talks about the ministry of presence and seeking the outsider and bringing heaven to earth. All beautiful concepts that do not require big, massive change in your life. Now, one small thing you can do today to help those that Tess and Jason are seeking to help is go to their site, seekingpeace.org and check out their shop. In it, you're going to find some amazing products. I'm wearing one of them. It's a gold bar necklace that says Shalom on one side and and the Hebrew for Shalom on the other side. They have a cool gold cuff that says Seek Peace and amazing candles. Tess brought them to an event 
the other week, and they smell fantastic. Those candles are poured locally by resettled refugees. 100% of the profits of all their sales are reinvested into the work of SEEK. In addition to shopping, you can always sign up as a monthly donor. Partners give anywhere from $10 a month to $200. This is, again, a small way, if you are so led, to support the work of what they're doing with refugees and immigrants. All right, let's get to my conversation with Tess. Here we go. Hey, Tess, welcome to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. Thank you for having me, Heather. Oh, Rumi. <laughs> I mean, so I've gotten a lot of questions from people about our trip to Oaxaca. And they're like, when are you going to talk about it on the show? I need to know why you were there. What were you doing? What was the point? Who sent you? All of these questions. And so I thought it'd be good to have you, Tess, the one who invited me, the one who shared a room with me. You know, every time you travel, there's always crazy stories uh, to come on and share a little bit about how you got involved and then what we did and answer everyone's questions. So before we get into that, I always have my guests introduce everyone to your family. So would you take a second and do that? Yes, I'm Tess and I'm married um, to a amazing man an amazing man named Jason Clark. Um, and he and I founded a nonprofit here in Dallas called Seek the Peace, um, where we're working with immigrants and refugees in a particular area in a community in Dallas. We have three kiddos, um, Roman, who's eight, Hilton, who's five, and Cruz, who came into our family through foster care and um, adoption last summer. And he is three. And um, our kids are wild and crazy. And we're in the middle of that season where everyone's going everywhere. And so trying to find, you know, little moments of peace and quiet. And what I tell my children, when I don't have to referee you, I enjoy you. So, <laughs> And this is why at. you're sitting in your car, because they're all out of school already. And yes. so we're going to, you know, <laughs> thank you all for grace that this is this is where a conversation is being had. Um, okay, so Tess, how did you get involved with the group that you then invited me into? Yes. So um, another thing that I do outside of being the co-founder of Seek the Peace and running a program called Project Shine for um, teen girls in the community is I am the director of a national advocacy platform called We Welcome Refugees. It was started by Vicki Reddy and Ann Voskamp. And I started working with them about two years ago to help curate content and have conversations and really kind of cast a human narrative around refugees and immigrants and to, to tell stories really is what we wanted to do and what we have been doing. And so part of that has been taking people to broken places, taking people into refugee camps, into the border in McAllen, and then into Oaxaca to meet people that are fleeing, to hear their stories and to bear witness to what is happening. Um, we acknowledge that we all have so many um, mixed messages coming at us from all different media sources. And it's really confusing sometimes to know what's happening and to put a human face with the kind of mass crisis that we see before us. Any humanitarian crisis, we have to start to draw out those individual stories, those places where we see those people um, the same way that we see ourselves and that we can move towards them. And so at We Welcome Refugees, we partnered with World Relief and said we want to bring women um, of influence to the border to um, hear stories and then share them. And that's where Heather came in. Um, we know that you are talking to so many moms 
every week you have such an encouraging show and you speak about real things happening to real people. And so we wanted Heather to come um, so she could bear witness and bring that back to all of her listeners and really encourage women to, um, to start having conversations in their homes about some of these issues that I know we're all feeling deeply because we're mothers and yeah. we see those women and we, we can't help but think about being a mother in that situation. Yeah, I think for me personally, the refugee situation, um, our church was highly involved in starting a center in the Dallas area. And so I was already in that space mentally, like thinking about helping refugees. And then it became a headline that we were talking about the refugees. And I know, so you were already in this space before it became a political divisive situation. Uh, and then we all kind of paid attention, especially as moms, when the news was covering the family separation and what was going on there for months at a time and still kind of getting sorted through all this time later. And so when you went to the border to McAllen, that was when? What month was that? That was in August so of a year 2019. Ago. Yeah, yeah, almost a year, a year ago. ago. And it was in the wake of what the news was covering, right? Yeah. So um, family separation, um, there had been an executive order signed in June to end family separation. But in August, that was still very much real. Um, and it still is very much real. There are still a lot of children who are still separated from their families, as we know, on the border, in the Ursuline Detention Center, in the ICE facilities that we visited. Um, people were living in the wake of the executive order to separate families. And then they were trying to be reunited. Um, a lot of families were when we were there in August. So for those of you, like when I was entering in this conversation, even on the trip to Oaxaca, which we'll get to in a minute, so much of the language and the words and the it's all new to me. So just so y'all know, I was a biology major. I mean, a speech pathologist. Like I, I don't watch news because I can't handle it and I don't have time for having the news on. If I'm not with my kids, uh, if I am with my kids, I don't want the news on. I don't choose to read the news. So I I know that for some of you, you might be in the similar boat. And so even ICE, you're like, what's ICE? What's an ICE detention center? So tell us, what does that stand for? ICE is the Immigration and Customs Enforcement kind of fort, like almost like a police force or task force. Um, so these are people who have authority to detain immigrants to ask for papers, to then put immigrants in holding. Um, so if you're being held in an ICE facility, that's different than being put in like a jail, right? And so because what's happening in ICE is they're saying, hey, you don't have legal permission to be here. And so we're now going to hold you in this facility and figure out where we need to send you back to or what we're going to do with you. Um, and we have to recognize every country Every country has rules about going into and out of their country. Like this is the reality um, of just how things operate. I don't think we spend a lot of time thinking about it because we most likely were born in a country and have stayed in a country. But if you're someone who's moving between, this is this matters to you a lot in the paperwork and all that's involved and realizing how this number of people crossing that border has increased so dramatically in the uh, last year and a half, I think is something that has drawn so much attention to this border in particular and recognizing it as a crisis, meaning 
it's so many people and then the officers involved are trying to handle so many people coming to the border at once. That was one of the really striking things about going to McAllen and getting to spend time with ICE officers was that we got to have conversations with them. And one of the men who was young, I mean, I want to say he was 28, 29. He said, um, you know, I asked him, why did you get into this line of work? And he said, well, I, my best friend died in high school of a drug overdose and I wanted to stop drugs from coming into our country. He goes, mm-hmm. I never signed up to take care of children. I never signed up to separate families. I signed up to get the bad guys at the border. Um, you know, and that really helped humanize him in that moment for me, because you're hearing all of these stories and wherever you're landing on it, there, there are real people behind all of them. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes we forget on, on both sides, whatever side you would be on. Um, you know, if you're taking those sides, you know, it helped me really pull back and go, man, there's, these men and women who are working for our country, a lot of them are feeling the weight of this in ways I will never feel it. They're actually having to do the physical separations. And a lot of them are saying, I don't want to do this. Or then this isn't what I signed up for. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, to move towards even the officials in a real way, um, as well as the detainees. And what detainee means is really it's someone who's in waiting. So they're waiting in an ICE facility or there's another facility called Ursuline, which is where the families were being held. If you saw the pictures of kind of the like chain link fencing with people behind them in like a mylar blanket, which almost looks like tinfoil. That was kind of where people were being processed. And then the decisions were being made with, are they going to be deported back to their home country? Are they going to be allowed to wait Um, their asylum claim out. And if they are, where will they wait until they get to go before a judge? And so, um, and Heather, you pointed out the mass influx of families coming from mainly Central and South American countries. And so a lot of people have been doing research and going into those countries and trying to learn why. And there's just been such a destabilization in those countries that families don't feel safe or they've experienced violence or they've lost a loved one to gang violence in particular, that they've felt they have no other choice but to come to the border and claim asylum. And our facilities weren't really built for that. They were built for single men leaving their countries looking for work. So there is a humanitarian crisis at our border and in Central and South America that has that has to be addressed. And I think that I didn't realize that when I was interviewed before the trip, because um, I don't know if some of you know, they filmed a documentary of our trip to Oaxaca They interviewed myself and two other members of the trip and came out to each of our individual homes and interviewed us and saw our life and then on the trip, during the trip, and um, did interviews, how we were processing it. And when we did the pre-trip interviews, I don't even think in my mind I understood that those who were trying to cross the border, the families that were being separated, were not families from Mexico, all of them, like that a lot of them were from other countries. I don't think I had been aware of that. So even if that's new news to you, I think it's just helpful to be fully in the loop on some of these things. And uh, like Tess said, to see the human side is our goal in all of this, to see that this is a hard issue to figure out, that the officers are struggling, the families are struggling, to see their faces, to hear their stories is always better. And so one of the stories that got me to say yes to going to Oaxaca, Tess, you have to tell, because as as we're talking about seeing them as humans, 
the way the scenario is set up is that these families were not treated humanely. And you even mentioned the names that they called them and some requirements they gave you about how you interact with the families. So share a little bit of that story. Yes. Um, so when I was at the border in McAllen, which is the Texas-Mexico um, border um, down in kind of South Texas, we um, went to Ursuline, which I had mentioned was the place where families were kind of were being physically separated um, and then were being held after the executive order was signed in June to keep families together. So families were being held. And um, I've been in a lot of places. I've been to refugee camps. My husband and I lived in Amman, Jordan. We worked with refugees there. We've been with refugees from Syria and Beirut. And when I tell this story, I want to always point out that this was probably the most dehumanizing space I've ever been into. Mm-hmm. Um, as we were being, t- we were touring Ursuline, we were told um, we were not allowed to touch anyone, talk to anyone. And they, the people that were in what we would really call cages or people who've been there, they actually call it the dog pound because that's what it looks like, were referred to as aliens. And I, I just, it just really struck me in that moment. We've heard that language a lot of how you couldn't have another, a word that felt more other, you know, like we're going to call this person alien as if they don't exist in the same realm that we do. Well, an alien in my book is like a non-human creature Yes, in the universe. Like I don't think of them as being human. Yes. And yeah. so calling someone that it, again, it kind of deepens that dehumanization and then being told we can't touch them. We can't talk to them. I just remember feeling so much shame walking through Ursuline, particularly where the families were. I mean, looking through the chain link fencing and seeing little boys the same age as my boy, my youngest adopted son, his mom is Mexican and seeing little boys that look just like him with their brown skin and their brown hair and his age. And, um, they were all sitting still. And I have a two-year-old or he's three now, but he was about two and a half then son who does not sit still. (laughs) I don't know. I'm sure a lot of you have toddlers. They don't do that. They don't sit on benches with their hands folded, staring at a wall. Yeah. And so even those, those very just kind of sobering moments where you're looking into this space and you're realizing like there's been so much trauma that has happened here, probably from the journey and then from being caged basically, um, what these children have experienced. And, And when we left Ursuline, we were brought to an ICE detention facility. And this is where we did get to talk to people. Um, These were all adults in ICE. And so we were able to, they said, you know, we asked people if they want to volunteer to share their story with you, they can. And so I was able to meet with a a mom named Juana and hear her story. And um, she just shared with me that she was brought to the United States when she was 14 with her family. They came, they were undocumented. They came from Guatemala. They were fleeing gang violence there. And she had lived in the United States for 10 years, she'd met her husband and fallen in love and they had had two children and she was home taking care of her daughters when her community was raided by ICE officers and she was taken into custody and deported back to Guatemala. And a few months after that deportation, um, her, you know, she was staying in touch with her family and with her daughters her husband called her and said that her older daughter had tried to commit suicide. And her daughter was in about the second grade at the time. 
Um, and when Juana was saying that, telling me that story, I mean, of course, our hearts are breaking. My heart is breaking. And she said something that I'll just never forget. She said, I knew that I had to get back to my daughter or I, I at least had to try because what I could not live with is her thinking I didn't come for her. I didn't try to get back to her. And it was just like, I couldn't think of a braver, more sacrificial thing for a mother to do than to leave Guatemala knowing she has no way she can ever enter the United States legally, that she was only going to be able to cross the illegal and she was risking being caught. But she was doing all of that so her daughter would know that she tried to come for her. And I just... You know, those stories and those moments are really almost paralyzing. And that's when I felt like the Holy Spirit came over me. And he said, grab her face and tell her she's a really good mom. And we were instructed that we weren't allowed to, allowed to touch anyone um, in the facility, which also just felt so hard, right? So mm-hmm. I can't touch anyone yeah. that I'm talking to. But I did. I was like, okay, I'm just going to obey the Lord. And that's my eight wing. <laughs> um, and and the Holy Spirit's prompting to grab her face and tell her she was a really good mom and a really brave mom. And her and I cried for a moment together and I was escorted out of the facility and I didn't, you know, really finish the conversation. I didn't feel like, but in that moment, I just felt like what I was being called to was removing aloneness, was a ministry of presence, was how Jesus so often does that with us. He can, but he doesn't change our situations. I think of times I've cried out with a broken heart and with fear and worry and anxiety and asked Jesus to change it. And it didn't. But what I felt was his comfort and his peace and his presence. And I just felt like that was a moment where I could enter in with Juana. I could immerse in her story. I could feel her pain with her and I couldn't get her out of ice and I couldn't reunite her with her daughters. And I couldn't keep her from being deported back to Guatemala. But what I could do was take her face in my hands and tell her she was a really good mom and I could remove maybe some aloneness and some guilt and some shame that she was feeling because I could see all of that in her and none of it, it wasn't her fault. So you tell me that story as you're saying, hey, we're going to take another trip and this time we're going to go south and we're going to go into Oaxaca and we're going to meet some of these families as they've just left their countries or soon after leaving their countries in Oaxaca as they're making the journey up and learn more about why they're leaving. Why are these countries not places you can stay? And I, I learned about something called the Northern Triangle. Is that what it is? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Did I learn it correctly? El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras are these three countries. And you can research more about the history of how we've gotten to where we are today. And it can go back into the 70s and 80s and even some of what the U.S. has done. And so what I learned even before we got there was that there's a lot of gang activity, um, meaning you could be a upstanding citizen, run a business, but a gang could come in and ask for most of your profits. And if you didn't give it to them, they would threaten death or kill you or hurt you. So it's really hard to even make a living because of that level of extortion and violence. And then there's just other violence that happens. And we can talk about people we met there, but that's why we went was to kind of hear more of their stories and learn more about what's going on in their countries and why they're leaving. 
there's two phrases. There's pull in factors, which is like talking about America, what's pulling people towards America, these promises for prosperity or these American dreams that they have or um, family that might be in America. But then there's also these push factors that are pushing them out of the country. And so what are those things? And so we took this trip to Oaxaca. And Oaxaca's beautiful, so it wasn't hard. Twist my arm. I mean, <laughs> it's a really cute city, uh, beautiful culture and buildings and people, hospitable, living their life. I mean, we were. it was like a Tuesday afternoon, and all these families are out in this square just living life. Um, so that in itself was really nice. Yeah. I thought it was such an interesting backdrop to – a trip like this because mm-hmm. being in McAllen and we were just kind of at the border, it's just mostly desert. It was really hot. We were going to these facilities and then being in Oaxaca was, man, we're going to these hard places and hearing hard stories, but we're coming back into this community that's thriving and uh, people on the streets, like selling toys that they had made and paintings that they had made. And it felt like such a vibrant place to make a home. And I, and I guess I kept thinking, man, all of these people who are fleeing, why could they stay here? <laughs> you know, yeah. what, and then you learn more about the deeper roots of things that are happening, even in the underbelly of Mexico. And yeah. that was really surprising to me to learn how dangerous it was to be a woman in communities in Oaxaca, particularly outside of the main part of the city, um, in these more mountainous communities, which was where a lot of people who um, maybe don't have a formal education, they they live and where they work. And they're self-regulated. Um, it's like they have their, their own yes. governments and their own cultures. Their own roles. Um, we, we learned about a woman in one of those communities whose husband came home from work and his food wasn't warm and he beat her um, and raped her. And she went to the elder in her village and told him what happened. And he said, well, why wasn't his food warm? And her punishment was to sweep the entire village, which was really looked down upon. And everyone knew she, you know, everyone thought she had done something wrong. And so you're hearing those stories and you're realizing why maybe people aren't stopping and staying mm-hmm. um, when they're and, and they're not even that. I mean, Mexico would have to allow that anyway. Right. Mm-hmm. We know that the same thing. Mexico has laws just like the United States does, but they are offering some people to claim asylum and some people are doing that. I mean, they are deciding to stay in Mexico and claim asylum. Um, But again, the numbers are staggering and everyone knows that this is an overwhelming issue, which is why I think we can't become jaded and paralyzed, but we have to keep looking at it from a human point of view. I mean, El Salvador named the world's most violent country that was not in war. In 2015, I want to say the homicide rate was like 103 per 100,000 people. Um, and so there are people, I mean, you're people just being killed, um, being forced into gangs, being extorted and going, we have to flee if we're going to survive. And so there's just there are elements upon elements of issues. And so, yeah, when we were in Oaxaca, a lot of it was really about learning why people were fleeing and what their lives looked like and what they were hoping for um, when they came to the United States. And Heather, I don't know about you, but every person I had an opportunity to talk to said, I want to be safe. Yeah. Well, I was going to highlight one family to give you an example. So there was one family we met in the center and it's a mom, a dad, a son who just turned 16, a daughter who was 14. 
and they were leaving Honduras, right? Yeah. And the reason they were leaving is that her then 15-year-old son had been approached by gang members to join their gang. He was a good kid, had a job. Like, because he was so good, these gang members were approaching them. And so in three days, they decided to pack everything up and leave and leave their dog even. I mean, this is this is what struck me. No one wants to leave their home. Like, it's not something your family, your community, your extended family, your culture, it's it's not enjoyable to leave your home. There's comfort there. And so we have to think what would be causing someone and forcing them to do that. And so for this mom to think, okay, my choices are my son join a gang or be killed because he won't join the gang. So we're leaving. They traveled to the border. They were detained at the Mexican border, which she said, correct me if I'm wrong, Tess, but she said that that was God's provision because they hadn't eaten in two days. Is that right? Yeah. And so she saw that even as God using the detention centers in Mexico as God's provision for their family. And they made their way up to Oaxaca. They settled in this migrant center that we visited and actually had established themselves as helpful. Like she was helping run it. Her son was helping people get in and out. Her husband had gotten a work visa, but the pay for time worked in Oaxaca is really low. And so their goal was to save up enough money to then move on to a different city where they could be safe, the kids could go to school, and they could get jobs that were better paying. So you see, it's everything that you and I, Tess, are looking for. Our husbands want good pay, we want good schools, and we want to be safe, right? So it's the same goals. And so to even humanize that for us as we're thinking through this crisis of sorts, uh, that was helpful for me. We met another group of sisters and friends who were traveling because um, the sisters had been attacked by an ex-husband. Um, there were knife wounds on their legs and faces, and they had little babies they were traveling with. And I think uh, one, the one woman we met with, she said, tell people in America we're not evil, we're fleeing evil. Yeah. That was think, impactful to me. Yes. It was. I think that sometimes we think these are the perpetrators of the violence and they're coming to infiltrate or they're coming to do bad things or take jobs or whatever it is. And a lot of these people are literally, they're the ones fleeing violence. They are the victims of the criminals. They're the victims of the gang members. And they're looking for the same things that, like Heather said, we're looking for. Um, There's a poem actually by a Somali refugee, Worsen Shire. And she says, no one leaves home unless home is the mouth of a shark. You only run for the border when you see the whole city running as well. Your neighbors running faster than you, breath bloody in their throats. The boy you went to school with who kissed you dizzy behind the old tin factory is holding a gun bigger than his body. You only leave home when home won't let you stay. And she and the poem is a lot longer than that. And it's something that I read pretty regularly, actually, because it just continues to remind me that these are these don't even feel like choices for people. I think sometimes the narrative is well, why don't they do this? Or why don't they do that? Or I'm all for immigrants if they come the right way, if they come the legal way. And I understand that, that phrase and that thinking, but so often there isn't a right way. And the legal ways are being shut down um, under our current administration. A lot of people, a lot of ways that were legal to come aren't legal to come now. Um, And it just takes so long. And it takes a really long time because of this number crisis. And we won't just call it numbers because they're people because of the vast amount of people 
not that America needs to be the savior of everyone, but this this is just the reality. We aren't equipped for processing this many people. I wanted to highlight something Tess just said there about immigrants coming the right way, the legal way, and how those options are diminishing. So after we recorded this, Tess took another trip to the border in El Paso, and I got to hear her share more about that trip when we did a live event here in Dallas. And I could just hear from this interview that you're listening to now to what I heard her say at the live event, her passion, uh, the fire in her belly had increased dramatically that we have to do something that we are not treating people humanely. We're not even treating the people who are helping the humanitarian efforts to those who are immigrants. We're not treating them humanely. And she said it really matters that we really do have a voice in this administration that when we call senators and congressmen, they listen. That if just 10 people call, they take notice and they really care about women. They really care about evangelical women. And so you have a voice, mom. If you are sitting at home and you're like, what can I do? That is a simple thing to do. And if you're like, I don't know who to call. I don't know what congressman or senator to call. I don't know what to say. I don't even know what issues are going on. If you just start following on Instagram and Facebook, Seek the Peace, We Welcome Refugees. I'm on Facebook. There's a group called Welcome you will get kind of looped into some of these issues and find out when legislation is coming up and um, they will let you know who to call and what to say. And I think that even as moms who are working hard outside the home, in the home, we're on the go, we can make a phone call. And that's one small way we can help so that you're about to hear a story of some young girls that I met so that hopefully when they come to the border, they are welcomed humanely. That's our goal. We're not getting rid of laws. We're not, we're not saying, let everybody in. We're saying we want people to be treated in a way that represents the gospel and that we see the image of God in them. Okay, I'm going to take a big 180 here because this show would not be possible. I couldn't share these things with you if it wasn't for sponsors like Fab Fit Fun. So what is Fab Fit Fun. Well, it's a seasonal subscription box with full-size beauty, fitness, fashion, and lifestyle products. That means four times a year, they're curating from different name brands like Vince Camuto, Glam Glow, Kate Somerville, Tarte, and they're creating a box for you that retails at $49.99, but everything in it has a value of over $200. But Great news, as a DMA listener, you can use the code DMA10, DMA10, to get $10 off your first box over at fabfitfun.com. Now, I just want to tell you, maybe you've been seeing it around in your social media, these boxes sell out fast, so make sure you sign up to get yours today. It kind of feels like having your birthday four times a year. It's really fun when that pretty box comes to your door and you get to find out all the things in it. And I'm still using stuff from a box a year ago. It's a great value. When you use that code DMA10, DMA10, to get $10 off your first box over at fabfitfun.com. All right, let's get to my chat with Tess. Here we go. I think I was really, you were sharing a room with me, like I said earlier, um, the night before we were going to go to the unaccompanied minor shelter. I was already crying. Like we hadn't even seen one child. And I was crying, imagining these kids who had somehow been separated from their families, um, not by government, but 
they're traveling and they get separated or we heard other stories of why they weren't with their parents or their family. And I was like, sad thinking about it. Well, we get there and I had no clue. I knew I'd see kids, but I didn't know I would see kids who had kids. We heard about the center and we saw the cute toddlers running around and the sweet, you know, adolescent boys hugging some of the workers there. And um, and then we start going into the courtyard to kind of chat with some of the kids. And we see this girl who we're told is 11 and she's holding the tiniest little baby. It's a one week old baby. And we're told that she had the baby at the center. She was pregnant when she got there and she had the baby at the center. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And then I chatted for a while with a 14-year-old who has an eight-month-old baby. And that 14-year-old had traveled on a train with her mom, like on top of the train. I'm not saying in the train, like they're riding on top of the train and was pregnant and her mom couldn't stay at the unaccompanied minor shelter. So her mom had to keep going because there was no place for them to stay in the city for as long as it would take for her daughter to have the baby, right? She needed to be there. So the 14-year-old was left at the center to have the baby and plans to leave when she turns 18, when you're legally allowed to leave without family members. Anyway, I'm just imagining her four years from now and crossing the border to get to her mom and just hoping that she and her little four-and-a-half-year-old are able to make it through some way to reconnect with her mom. Anyway, it just struck me like I wasn't, like I said, I wasn't expecting to see kids with kids. And that was, I mean, they told me not to cry. Come on. <laughs> impossible. Um, yes, definitely. That's a hard one not to cry in, in that space and in that place because you are thinking, I think particularly meeting Wendy, the 11 year old with the newborn baby who she hadn't named him yet. And I think that that's a significant sign of trauma, right? We know that probably 11 year olds, we not probably 11 year olds don't get pregnant because they, they want to be pregnant. Yeah. They don't choose those things. And she was alone and just wondering what happened and where she came from. And we learned um, that in Mexico, um, there's a word called femicide. And femicide is the number three reason for death in Mexico, which is just the ki- being killed because you're a woman. Um, and that women can be killed for all kinds of reasons in Mexico. Like we asked for examples, we were at a nonprofit that was working, teaching girls about their value and dignity and worth. And she said, oh, if you, maybe they ask you, a guy asks you to go on a date and you say, no, maybe he'll kill you. So women are not being treated as valuable or even close to equal in a lot of communities. I'm not saying everywhere in Mexico, but this was in the particular area where we were. Um, And so a lot of the work that this nonprofit was doing was trying to educate not only girls, but also boys about the value of women and the ways that they contribute to communities and that you can't just do what you want to a girl, (laughs) that you can't just take her for your own, right, in the ways that you might want her when she says no and teaching girls even what abuse might look like and sound like, because a lot of the girls don't know because it's just really common practice that you would particularly be sexually abused as a young girl. And it seemed normal. And they're trying to teach girls that that's not normal. So you've got layers of things going on in these communities. So Tess, whenever I talk to friends here and they ask me and I've 
tell them all the things that you and I just talked through, then they just feel like I felt like overwhelmed. <laughs> like, what's the solution? Is it to go into Honduras and Guatemala and El Salvador and spread the gospel so these gang members stop injustice? Or what What do we do? How do we help? And it can feel so overwhelming and paralyzing that we just don't do anything. Um, what advice would you give? Yeah, um, I... I think I even mentioned it a little bit earlier, but I think just asking Jesus where what he what he's inviting you into right now. I think that um, a long time ago I was like felt so overwhelmed, and I still can, and I still do about everything that was happening in in the world. And that Jesus just reminded me like I'm putting things in front of you that I'm asking you to enter into. That He's invited me to join Him in healing a broken world that he's already there. He's already in those broken places. And I think that that was something that God reminded me of even on the trip to Oaxaca, right? And hearing this woman's story when she said that being picked up by the Mexican authorities were God's provision because they were fed and they hadn't eaten in days. Going, man, sometimes I forget because I see how destitute things might look that God is there and God's at work. And there are places and spaces he's invited me to join him in. So for some people, that might look like moving into a place like that, um, moving there. And for other people, it's looking for those broken places in our communities. Um, something that my kids and I talk a lot about is the line in, in uh, the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I, we ask Jesus, show us where heaven is not. Show us where heaven is lacking. Lead us there because we want to join you in that space and we want to do what we can to bring heaven there. And I tell people when I talk about Project Shine, what we do at Seek the Peace is every Monday night, refugee girls and their mentors, we meet and we talk about worth, strength, value, dignity, purpose. But really what we're doing is we're bringing a little part of heaven into those girls' lives where girls have been told that they're not valuable. We're saying you are valuable and we're not just saying it. We're showing them that they're valuable because we're showing up for them in places where maybe no one has showed up for them before. And so I think that we're all invited into that. And I have a really good friend who's got a son in kindergarten and then she had Irish twins and they were miracle babies. And she was told she couldn't be pregnant. And she's like, I am home. I am juggling these babies all the time. Like, what can I do? And so we have, we we're talking about that. And I'm like, who is the one person in your life that, you know, is living life in the margins and that you can move towards and you can remove aloneness and you can bring the ministry of presence with to her, that you can sit and listen, um, that you can immerse yourself in her life. Just like Jesus left heaven and came to earth. He left his perfect world and he entered in to the center of our radically broken story. And he contended to us to death on a cross. Like Jesus is to me the perfect example of leaving our comfort and entering into a broken place. And some of my friends lead a, gosh, a nonprofit. It's called the Global Immersion Project. And part of their mission is to equip the American church to enter into hard places, to be peacemakers. And they have a beautiful analogy. And they say, Think about when you're going out in a boat and you're going to scuba dive, you know, you're taking the boat right out and you're looking around you and you're acknowledging how beautiful everything is. You're seeing it, you're taking it in, you're breathing in the fresh air, but it's when you put on that scuba mask and you fall backwards into the ocean and you're swimming underneath that you see all of this life. 
that you would have never seen had you not dove in. All of these beautiful things that God created and God is doing amongst some like some darkness, right? Even <laughs> under the water. It's like when we immerse in people's stories, when we immerse in their lives, Jesus has something for us there. And um, he's inviting us into that place. And so we don't have to go and overthrow the government in Venezuela. <laughs> and we don't have to rewrite immigration policy. Those maybe aren't our gifts and our talents and our skills and our calls. There's for some people. But what God is saying is, what's broken in front of you? And how can you move towards that? And I know for me, that posture comes with a lot of humility, because I can't change things for people all the time. I have to enter in humbly, I have to enter in, um, in a posture of not just humility, but of curiosity. I have to ask God to free me from my judgment because it's so easy for me to judge people in situations that are different than mine to think, why didn't they do this or that? Or I would have done it this way. And I feel like Jesus is continually reminding me that that's not my job, but my job is to partner with them, to contend for them, to listen. Um, and that I'm going to learn something. I have learned more about God's character I have seen God show up. I have seen the church show up in the most beautiful ways in partnering with people in the margins. When I have said, I'm going to leave everything that's comfortable and I'm going to enter in with this one person. Right now I'm walking with a mom that is homeless and her three kids. That's why I'm doing the podcast in my car. I told Heather, this wasn't my plan, but I was with her and we were moving her from one motel to another and we had to get some pots and pans and we were doing different things. And I I asked her, she shares a little bit of her story a little bit more every time I'm with her, right? I, you can't expect someone to open up and trust you fully the, in the first meeting. But now we've hung out several times now and she shared a little bit more of her story with me. And she was orphaned at the age of six. Her parents were killed in a car accident. She was in foster care. She was adopted when she was 11. And the woman who adopted her had a mental breakdown and she went back into the system and she aged out and now she's alone. And I keep thinking, I can't take all of that from her. I can't change any of that, but I can come alongside her where she's at right now today. Um, my husband and I saw her walking down a road in Dallas three months ago. And we've since been walking with her because she's who God put in my path. And I thank God had eyes to see her in that moment and not just see her, but had, I was moved towards her to immerse with her in her story. And it is, it's a broken story and I can't save that. And I'm not a hero in any way. And I think that's the thing God keeps reminding me of. And that's the most freeing part, right? Yeah. Is that I am not the hero that he well, is. So, so much of what you said, it's how, when I left Oaxaca, I was like, okay, what can I do? Well, it was really motivating to me to own the space that he's assigned me. So if I am in this place with these skills and this time, show me God who you already have in my circle that I'm not caring well for. I mean, I can't go out of that circle and start caring for people. Like you've already brought people to me. How am I loving them well? And so even in that, I think it's it helped me reevaluate some of my priorities. And then I think even recently, just opening my eyes to see that the times where we have loved, like you said, through the power of the ministry of presence and um, helping someone who's feeling alone and making them feel comforted by Jesus and less alone, 
that it has only benefited my children. Sometimes I can orchestrate our lives that's so child-centered and making sure they're happy and entertained and comfortable that that's actually not long-term beneficial for my kids. But when they see our family serving the outsider or doing the uncomfortable thing, they're actually becoming more people-centered and less self-centered and that long-term makes for a better culture. So I think sometimes as moms, we're so focusing our energies on happy, healthy, comfortable lives for our kids. Of course, we're meeting their needs and of course, we're loving them and comforting them. But there's probably spaces and places where we could be serving those right on our street. Like we have enough needs. My family has enough needs in the three houses next to us with families we've gotten to know that could take up our whole time, all of our time, just loving them well and being present for them. It doesn't have to go all the way to Venezuela. It doesn't have to, but God did show me like he showed you. He's just as present with that mom, that 11-year-old mom, as he is here and he's working, but it's what is he inviting you into today and joining him in that. I love that. And I think there's the, you know, we know, Isaiah 58. Um, but I just, I go back to this a lot. These are like people who are pursuing the Lord. I mean, they're fasting, you know, and they're doing it some with the religious spirit in a lot of ways and they're oppressing their workers. And, you know, God's saying to them like, Hey, this is not what I have for you. I actually have something that's so much better. Like you're living comfortable lives. You're pursuing me, you're praying, but like, is this not the fast that I've chosen for you? to loose the chains of injustice and you untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then he says this, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. He says, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. And it goes on to say, you will be called a repairer of broken walls, restorers of the streets with dwellings. And that your spring is, your water is going to spring forth and you're going to rebuild ancient ruins. And I think that the promise that God has for us is he says, when you partner with me in healing a broken world, when you move towards people in the margins, when you do, I think, get outside of your circle. I always kind of joke, like if everyone in your phone has the same resources as you, if everyone on your Facebook feed looks like you and thinks like you, we're really not bringing the kingdom to earth. Because the kingdom doesn't just look like us. Yeah, yeah. And so this promise is that when you partner with me, when you do this with me, when you are entering into spaces where people are oppressed and you're spending your privilege and you're spending your time and your words, and that's what you're doing, Heather, you're spending your privilege with this podcast, sharing stories of marginalized people, that I am going to hear your prayers and your healing is going to come. And you are going to be called repairer of the streets. God is doing all of this. And yet he's saying, I'm going to call you a repairer of the streets. Mm. I'm going to bring your light. I am going to heal you. I am going to hear your prayers. And all he's asking us to do is join him in it. And then that's it. We just have, we're just saying yes. And so I know for me, that has looked like getting out of the places where I'm comfortable. That has looked like going into the refugee community in Dallas. That's looked like 
shopping at grocery stores that I don't normally go to, like a store that might have more diverse shoppers. That looks like just kind of getting out of my comfort zone and meeting people that aren't like me, Mm -hmm. that don't have the resources I have, that don't go to the schools my kids have, because God has something for us in there. And, And really my encouragement is just one relationship, one relationship with someone who isn't like you or come from the same background you have or same the same resources you have, because God has something for you in that relationship and for them. And I, I can guarantee you will see God in different ways. He will show up for you in ways you never imagined he could when you enter into those broken places. I know because my life is a testimony to that. Amazing. <laughs> Tess, people can find you at Seek the Peace and We Welcome Refugees. Do you have a site too? Yeah, um, seekingpeace.org and wewelcomerefugees.com. You can check us out there. You can follow us on Instagram. You can follow me. I'm really trying to just um, invite people in to different things we're doing. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Well, thank you, Tess, for joining me today. It's been fun. We could talk forever. Yes. Thanks for having me. One small way, if you want to get your family talking about immigration and justice, Tess has a tool for you. If you simply text the word, we welcome, all one word, to 44222. So text the word, we welcome, all together, one word, to the number 44222. And when you do, you will get um, a link to download that immigration conversation guide so you can get your family talking. Again, it's a small way to start thinking about bigger issues in your home. Start opening your eyes to what you can do today. I am going to pray for us. I'm going to pray for all of those who are fleeing evil and seeking refuge. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for the privilege to partner with you. I thank you that you are a big God and these issues are not too big for you. I thank you though that that you invite us in. I thank you that you care more than we ever could, that you love everyone on this earth more than we could ever imagine. So I pray that you would cover us with a spirit of peace as we enter into peacemaking conversations, that you would open our eyes to see where someone is an outsider and where we can help partner with you to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. I pray, Lord, for anyone today, right in this moment, who is lonely, discouraged, defeated, fleeing evil, hopeless, that you would be their rescue, that someone would be led by your Holy Spirit to move in a way that brings them the hope that is found in Jesus, that meets their needs for today. And I pray, Lord, that we could be opening our ears to hear where you're directing us in our day, how to partner with you, God. I thank you, God, for that privilege. I thank you, Lord, that we know this world is not our home, but you have instructed us to be stewards and to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. And I pray that we would do just that, that we would welcome the stranger, that we would feed and care for the outsider. I thank you, Lord, for this time today. I pray again, just comfort over those who listen and those who are seeking asylum and refuge. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, y'all, thank you for listening today. And I wanted to let you know, next week, Kat Armstrong is coming on the show. You guys loved her motherhood, career, and identity episode. And she's coming back to talk about 
a new topic that she's written a book, No Holding Back. And then our summer of mentorship kicks off mid-July. If you are looking to gather a group of women together and have a podcast club, we now have uh, a dedicated page on the site. If you go to don'tmomalone.com, you will see the little button. It's next to the podcast button. All right. Thanks y'all for joining me today. Adios. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Don't Mom Alone podcast. If you're wanting to connect with more people and more resources to help remind you that you're not alone, head over to don'tmomalone.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guests. Most importantly, I want you to know the good news, the great news that you're not alone because God has promised to always be with you. With faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died for you and rose again, Jesus said when he left, he was going to leave a helper, a comforter to be with us. God in us. Moms, that's superpower. So while you're washing dishes at your kitchen sink, while you're driving to and from work, while you're feeding that baby late into the night, while you're cleaning sticky floors, God promises to be just as present with you as when you're worshiping in a church pew. As it says in Zephaniah 317, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Now that's good news. Have a great day.